right, episode 19 of Milk and Bourbon. Welcome back. Thank you for taking some time out of your day and probably out of um, some fantasy drafts in order to watch a little bit of this episode, and I appreciate that. The whole idea behind this this podcast has been kind of a, a couple-fold. Um, I wanted to move away from talking about people, other people, or events in my life and start talking about like some some really interesting ideas. And so that's kind of what created this podcast. And that's why I'm here. Um, and I've discovered through the two years that I've been doing this, and really a little bit beforehand, that I can learn a lot from a lot of different sources. And my very first podcast was um, covering a book that was written by Gucci Mane. And at the time, I, I really wanted it to work because it was my first podcast, so I needed it to be good. And I gave it this rating, and uh, I talked to a buddy several months later after the fact, and he had gone off my suggestion, gotten the book, and hated it. <laughs> but I had wanted it to be so good that I was just I was ready to say that it was, you know, I think I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 stars. And after the fact, I retroactively bounced it down to a 1.5. I think it's, or 2. It's either the second to last or the very last book out of all my rankings. Um, Gucci Mane's Guide to Greatness. Well, I revisited books written, written by a popular artist. And this one was Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent. It's uh, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. <clears throat> and what's funny is the place that I picked it up at, I actually... Um, See if I can find it. I got a signed copy. Um, didn't see him, obviously. He's got more pressing things. I just saw on his Instagram that he was throwing the party to end all parties in Houston, and it looked um, crazy. Wish I was there. 50, the invite next time. Should be incoming. I'll expect it in the mail. Uh, hit me up on IG. But here's the thing. So the book, this book, is light years better than the first book I read by an artist. Uh, you can tell that he actually wrote this. You can tell that this was his voice. Uh, and you couldn't really tell that in Gucci Mane's. And, and when you did, you were like, ah, man, I don't know. There's still a lot to learn from Mr. Gucci Mane, but I'll have to say that 50 Cent's been there, done that for longer. Uh, I, th I feel like his life is incredibly interesting and the different ventures he's gone through from you know running drugs at 15 years old having lost his his mother uh never knowing his father moving on to uh the the rap game obviously blowing up there failing a few times getting shot nine times bouncing back um shady, uh signing with shady records and then now he's doing uh TV production i honestly didn't know that he produced power um, and there's a little bit of a story about that later on. In this book, he, he outlines eight principles for you to get ahead. It's not really an autobiography, although he does use a lot of vignettes to, to drive his points home. It's more of a, here's how I got where I got. Here's the attitudes that I've learned that I need to have in order to be successful. This is where I failed in the past. This is where I was, I was successful. This is how I move now. And so... He mentions that of the eight, if you just have one that sticks with you, then he'll have viewed this this book as a as a success. 
And the reason that I started this podcast, the whole idea behind it was that I wanted A, for posterity, and then B, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to glean a bit more from each book because the year prior to starting my podcast, I read something like 56 books and I couldn't tell you any of them. Um, or at least like some really strong points that you can glean from any of them. So that's why I started this. And, and so I picked three of the eight that he, he lists off and, um, brief introduction of what he was saying and what he meant. And then maybe some personal interjection from myself. The first one that rang so true with me was build a strong crew. And he mentions this because he definitely had a little bit of struggles with G unit um, at times. Uh, one of the funny parts of this whole book is that he'll call people out by name, which is kind of interesting because you get to see a kind of a behind the curtains look at what was going on with 50 cent at, in his heyday. But build a strong crew. And he mentions he'd rather be robbed at gunpoint than betrayed by a friend. And when I read that, I immediately highlighted it, underlined it, said I need to come back to this. I need to loop back to this because it it does ring true with me. It's There have been times in the past that I've been blindsided by something someone else has done that I considered close to me. And it's just painful because you're like, oh, man, I've got, you know, X, Y, Z people in my life plus my family. And that's kind of it, especially when you're in your 30s. Like friends don't just don't just happen that easily. You can get a gym bro, maybe, but real meaningful friendships are hard to come by and they, they, they become harder the older you get. And so when those things kind of happen, it's like you feel you lose a part of yourself because uh, I've read somewhere else that you are the summation of the five people you surround yourself with most. And I think I've mentioned that in a podcast in the past. So when one of those pieces drops off, it's it's an, a severe emotional event. Uh, so I felt that I I also feel like I'd be rather I'd rather be robbed at gunpoint than have another friend betray me. He goes on to to bring up, obviously, romantic relationships, and I don't know if he's ever gotten married. I know that none of them have lasted, uh, and he's had some pretty public issues with uh, his first um, baby mama. So he definitely has some, some background on this as well. And he brought up a, a really key point that allowed me to, to get all the way through this because I think that it, initially you're going to get upset uh, well, some of you will, but most business ventures will never lose as much as the amount of money you'll lose in a divorce. Um, Jeff Bezos paid his ex-wife $38 billion. Um, there's nothing that company Amazon will do that'll lose $38 billion in one fell stroke. And now, obviously, there's the blockbusters and the Enron, but there's different issues with those two um, business entities, blockbuster failed to adapt. Enron wasn't operating on the legal or moral plane. So notwithstanding those two types of um, options, you'll lose more money from something like a divorce than you will from regular business operations. Mel Gibson, Michael Jordan, Neil Diamond, 
Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg, uh, Inflation Adjusted, paid about $1.45 billion out to their ex-wives as well. Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, had to pay half of everything he's earned in the past 20 years. And this, this divorce happened uh, during the pandemic. So half of every dollar that he's made in the past year, or 20 years, sorry. And then an additional $432,000 a year for spousal support. Well, you're not my spouse anymore. Why am I paying you almost half a million dollars a year so you can keep up your lifestyle? And it's just, so it's just terrifying to me. And by no means am I a millionaire or a billionaire, but it's terrifying to me that the money that I do work hard for, should I divorce someone, is half of it's gone. Half of my, half of my holdings are gone. Terrifying. This house that I bought by myself, if I were to get divorced, might become part of the, the cannon fodder in a divorce. And so that's what... That's what terrifies me and the selection of a wife. That's why I've taken so long to reach that point. And by no means am I saying that I was a, a catch throughout my life. There's been some growth um, over the past 15 years. Um, and, and I'll kind of touch on that too because my final one is um, learn from your L's or really mine and 50s. Let's, let's say this is a joint venture here. And then finally with build your own build a strong crew, finally, is um, ensuring that when people cross the line, repercussions that were outlined in the beginning are felt. He mentions kicking someone off tour. Um, he just, he didn't leave any room for doubt as far as whether, whether whatever you were doing beforehand, you're going to be dis disciplined when you're rolling around with me. Um, and I, I liked that idea. I think that's something that I've failed at several times in the past. I don't think that there's any weakness in forgiveness. I do think that there's weakness in allowing someone the opportunity to cause you pain more than once. Um, love can do some crazy things. Uh, filial love or, or romantic love this are all the same. Um, it can make you do some silly things. So I think what I learned from this is that if, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't start off by building that strong crew, you don't start off by surrounding your, yourself with people that you can see a future with, then you're going to have to be able to deal out the repercussions that are a part of that. And that means cutting someone out. That means, um, I don't know, removing someone from the situation, then it, that's what it is. On to the next one. So for this podcast, I'm I'm going to uh, introduce two bourbons that I've tried in the past that I feel like maybe I didn't do a good service to. I gave them pretty low scores. It's Forged Oak and um, Blood, Blood Oath Pact 4. And I've seen some stuff online where people rave about them. And I think I gave one, two and a half, and one three. So that puts them like middle of the pack, low pack. I gave Forged Oak, I think, the two and a half. That's what I have in my, my glass right now. I'm going to be sipping on it as we talk about this, this next point, and that's know your value. I think this might be one of my favorite stories by 50 because you don't expect Curtis Jackson to have the patience uh, required in doing this. So there's, it's a, there's two stories. The first story is when he was at Columbia Records, um, this was after he'd gained 
something like $180 million worth of record sales. And he started noticing that they were changing how they treated him. Um, they took longer to respond to him. They, uh, they didn't really interact with him the same way that they had been when he was making them, when he was their cash cow. And he recognized this, and he knew that there was, they were starting to fade him on the rap game. So he <laughs> essentially, because he already had access um, to, the, to the recording studio and to the business itself, he started just inviting himself in, in kind of an ad hoc um, internship, intern. And he'd go around to the different departments, and Columbia Records covers a lot of different departments, and he'd start learning from them. And he slowly got to the point where he started understanding like production. Not only music production, but also television movie production. Um, and how that would work. The, the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, what, what you'd require. How just like the every day-to-day -day operating goes for that. And he took it without being paid. And he realized at the time that it the real value in that was the investment he was making in the future self. And that leads to my second one. The first show that he pitched was Power, and it was to stars. And they were willing to offer him a whopping $136,000. Now, as a, as a reference, $136,000 for everything, like paying for the actors, the production, all that. <coughs> as a nice reference point, when he first made it big, he bought Mike Tyson's old mansion, and that mansion's utilities alone were $18,000. In total, it was $72,000 a month that he was paying out for this mansion. And now, in turn, 20 years later, you'd think that there's a little bit of entitlement that he's garnered through this, through this upwards trend of his career um, at one point, he was worth $115 million, and they're offering him $136K, and he took it because, and this is what he was talking about with being patient and knowing your worth. He knew that he had a good idea here. He knew he had a great vision having a mostly black cast, black producers, um, black screenwriters, all of this stuff that was going to draw a lot of people. Um, his stars show was initially getting compared with, oh man, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Fox show. And he didn't like that. Even though they were both um, black actors, black producers, he wanted to get compared to Game of Thrones because that was the only other subscription um, type show that was running the market at that point. And, I mean, he's proud to say that at this point, he's recently signed for an additional $150 million to continue spinoffs and then the main storyline of power game of thrones while it just released the the um, the new show is has had a little bit of a of a downfall especially in those past two seasons if you watch them if you watch the show you'll know what i'm saying if you didn't watch the show wow you're so cutting edge and edgy like awesome congratulations for not watching game of thrones um but he was competing with them and he was he was doing favorably against them and so he knew his worth, and he knew his vision, and he wasn't willing to compromise it. There have been times in my life where I didn't perform so well or didn't put out all the energy I possibly could into a project because I didn't think that I was going to get it. And so it would have felt better 
to to take that L and know that I just didn't put all my effort forth towards it. Because if I had put all my effort forth towards it and still failed, it would have had a little bit more of a damaging effect on me. And that leads me into the third point. One moment. Learn from your L's. A scientific journal called uh, Nature Communications found that people that failed early on in their careers uh, generally led much more successful careers later on in life than the people that had never experienced any failure. And I, I remember writing in the book after I saw that, that iron sharpens iron. And I know that that quote is typically used for when one person is improving the other person. But I think that having situations and, and um, setbacks can do that same thing for you. Iron can sharp, sharpen iron. And I think the people that have failed in the past, me included, have benefited from it because we realize that we're going to come back from it. Um, I failed multiple times early on in my military career. I, I, <laughs> I left the Air Force Academy uh, with a 1.7 GPA. Now, admittedly, Kentucky's a little bit easier, but the 3.6 something that I got at Kentucky is obviously, like, that doesn't make up for the amount of difficulty, the change in difficulty. I failed ranger school the first time. Um, I got in trouble a myriad of times as a young lieutenant, and I'm not sure that I'd be the person I am today if I hadn't failed that way. And I failed hard. <laughs> it's I fell hard. I like skidded off. Like I I hit the ground and then kind of skid a little bit, face down, arms down by my side. There was no catching any of that. And and fifty gives us a a similar story. I guess I guess it's similar. Um, talking about a young Japanese man uh, in the thirties. As well, he grew up in the thirties. Uh, didn't finish his high school education. Started working for an auto, auto, started working for an auto parts factory. Uh, without a high school education, it's usually typically very difficult to advance. Um, but because of his creativity and his ability to problem solve, he was able to move up really quickly. And at at, at a certain point, I think in 1940, I think he took over a plant of his own with this. I think it's called Art Shokai. And he got to the point where he started being able to see some of the issues with the parts they were making, and he started to design um, a shock absorption system that he thought was going to work better for the company. And he presented it to them, and they quickly shot him down. Well, he believed in himself, but that was his first failure. Other people didn't recognize or validate him. I could see why people would quit at that point and just continue on the status quo. They're comfortable. They're heads of plants. They're good. He started his own company, uh, sunk all his money into this new company to the point where he was selling his wife's jewelry. Again, this part he he further designed, got 30,000 pieces made of it, um, and went to, to Toyota, and their safety inspectors deemed that three of the 30,000 pieces were usable. He'd failed yet again. He recovered a bit. Um, sold that company for 450,000 yen to Toyota and then restarted a new company. And that company's name is Honda. Honda is now worth something like 43 billion. Let me check. 
excuse me, $47.36 billion. So clearly, there were several times where this man, Honda, could have quit, and he didn't. And there are several times where I could have quit, and I didn't. And I just think it's, it's too easy to take those L's and, and kind of put your, your tail between your legs and, and go on with life, not knowing your true potential, uh, letting that fear of failure drive you into what you choose. You, you choose the job that's perceived as more comfortable, um, maybe where you have less responsibility because you, you fear that lack of safety, that safety net. Um, actually, this reminds me of a, of a speech by Jim Carrey. He was a keynote speaker at, at a college. And he mentioned that his father was just as funny, if not more funny, than he was. And he went with the safe route, and he started working for, it was some sort of finance company. And after 20 years of hard work, he, his dad, was let go from that safe job. And he never really fully realized what he could do because he wasn't willing to fail. Um, he took the safe route, and the safe route ended up biting him in the ass. So I think that's, that's an interesting point. I think this whole book was really interesting. Um, like I said, he, it's very natural. It's very easy to read, very easy to consume. You could probably read it in a day or a day and a half. Uh, it's got some good points. There's five more that I didn't mention as far as um, ways to win, I guess, or hustle harder, hustle smarter, as uh, Mr. Jackson puts. It's an interesting book. It's, it's worth... It's worth a read. If you need like kind of a reset, you kind of like reading the books that like five ways to unfuck yourself or something to that to that extent. You know, one of those self-help type books or or, you know, what else? Uh, John C. Maxwell books. If you read those, I know you're saying like, oh, John C. Maxwell and um, 50 Cent. Well, there's I think it's called the 50 Laws of Power that was co-written by 50 Cent and Robert Greene. If you know Robert Greene, he did the 48 Laws of Power, Mastery, Seduction, um, uh, an incredible mind. And 50 Cent and Mr. Greene apparently jive. So if if those two guys, if Robert Greene can see some some value in his relationship with Curtis Jackson, then I'm sure you can as well. I give it 3.5 out of 5, putting it pretty much dead center of the pack. Now for the bourbon. I've been sipping on forged oak and man, it I saw several places where they were saying, "Oh, this is 9.0, 9.1." It's a 450, sorry, $405 bottle of bourbon. Um, 15-year-old straight bourbon. Um, it's made by a company that was originally based in um, Missouri, but they started moving their plants over to Kentucky so they can start, I guess, increasing their um, marketability because a lot of the consumers of bourbon want it from Kentucky. I don't blame them. Um, one last shot at this one. Let's see what happens. I'm not promising I'll still love it. I'm not super impressed. I mean, it's not bad, but is it $400 worth? Absolutely not. No. No. I think when it was first released, it was 99 but I think maybe I'm thinking about Blood Oath. I know they're both um, limited releases, um, so maybe the price is going up as people are consuming it. 
It's my forge joke is still at three quarters full. My blood oath is at one quarter. So I mean, I definitely have a preference. Okay, because I just wanted to show you the bottles. Very similar looking, actually. Um, this is the Orphan Barrel Forge Doke. And then this is the Blood Oath Pact 4. Um, cool thing about Blood Oath is uh, they released, I think for like eight years straight, they released a different blend, uh, blended bourbon. So it was the Blood Oath Pact 1 through 8 or something like that. This is Blood Oath Pact 4. I think that's 2018, 2017. Pretty good. Um, I'm going to drink some of it here in a second. But it's, uh, it's a blended bourbon, though, which I don't typically like that idea. I like the idea of having one bourbon that has the complexity of flavor just because it was made well, not because you know they, they took different um, bourbons that had certain characteristics and made it into something interesting. Uh, something about just like the process of creating one bourbon, uh, a straight bourbon, and it having that complexity tells me that they're doing something right. But anyways, this is Blood Oath Pact 4. Let's try. Okay, how do I explain this? You know when someone has a really reedy voice and then someone beside him has like a very deep, like just soothing voice right beside it? And when you hear one talk versus the other... There's very different reactions to it, even from the beginning. That's how I describe these two playing off of each other. Forged Oak is kind of like this reedy, not very good bourbon. I don't know how to how else to explain it. I think it's it's just like, ugh. it's supposed to be light and bright and fruity. I don't. No, it just maybe this is a preference thing, but I would say Orphan Barrel has this like smooth. Oh man, it's smooth all the way through. Good flavor, good complexity. The mouthfeel is better. I don't know how they do that. I would love to start learning about that. Someone hire me, please. I I need a side job, a side hustle, aside from this. Uh, let me finish this off. Another successful podcast down. A little bit of bourbon in me. Life's good. Up to it. Down to it. Damn the man that can't do it. look forward to like the first dislike i'm gonna be like that's right yeah i've got people coming taking their time what? wasting their time yes. and choosing to dislike it after they chose to watch it that's that's, that's how i know i've made it that is fucking hilarious